Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome to Tigers in 20, a Go Tigers 247 audio podcast. Your one-stop shop for all things University of Memphis Tigers athletics. Here are your hosts, founder of Go Tigers 247, Brooks Hansen, and lead writer for Go Tigers 247, Christian Fowler. What's up, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode. I'm your host, Christian Fowler, and joining me, as always, is Go Tigers 247 founder, Brooks Hansen, and Go Tigers 247 digital content creator, Kenny Stubblefield. And guys, we've got a lot to talk about this week when it comes to basketball. Conference play starts on Wednesday night. Memphis lost to Auburn over the weekend in a disappointing loss uh, in Atlanta in the holiday hoopsgiving game. Penny spoke to the media today about all this, about DeAndre Williams. So, Brooks, we got a lot to unpack. Where are we starting? Well, I want to start with, um, I guess, the offense. It feels like the offense is a hot topic right now uh, in a lot of Q&A. I think you kind of initiated that discussion, and it feels like the uh, almost the narrative for the season is headed towards what is the deal with Memphis's offense? What's eating – Gilbert Grape and Memphis's offense. So, you know, for me, it's interesting. Memphis has been all over the place. They started in one direction with the offense, went away from it, came back to it, and it now feels like from Penny's quotes that he's like retaking the reins of Memphis's offense away from Cody Toppert. And like I've said this before, it just feels like you need to you need to determine your identity stick to it, get really good at it, and develop that instead of flip-flopping. It feels like Penny Hardaway, the staff, and Memphis's offense are headed in a direction where they just don't have any concrete direction. So, um, you know, for me, watching that Auburn game, Memphis's offense looked good. It it wasn't a, an issue of getting open shots. They got open shots. It wasn't an issue of getting to the free-throw line. They got to the free throw line. They got 23 free throw attempts. They just missed 12 of them. You know, they shot 48% from the free throw line. They they missed almost double digit uh layups and dunks in that game. You can't do that. You can't miss wide open threes. You can't miss 12 free throws and expect to win games. You just can't. So I, I'm just a little confused concerned by the lack of identity already uh, seven games in now about to be eight games in to the season you're starting conference play the offense should have been figured out by now you know like this should have been concrete set and then something that you're actually legitimately head down working on committed to uh, as a staff on the same page and it just doesn't feel like they're there yeah, there has to be a certain level of continuity in any sports game plan or scheme. There has to be continuity, but especially at the collegiate level when you're dealing with, you know, 18 through 21-year-old kids, they have to know their responsibility. They have to know what's expected of them on a game-to-game basis. And if there's no continuity, 
then you you get what we've seen over the past few games is half of the game they know what they're doing and they look really good and then it's like something changes at halftime and then they have no idea and I think that was not as bad and not as present in the Auburn game I think the first half of that game was the best offensive performance they've had this year all things considered when you think about level of talent they were playing against so I was very encouraged in the first half I thought that was a game they were gonna run away with in the second half and then you see everything regress again so I'm completely with you, Brooks. It's very confusing. It, it looks like the offense is working, and Penny wants to keep pulling back on it, uh, which is a little bit aggravating from I'm sure from a from a fan standpoint, um, because like you said, there's not. It, it wasn't the offensive the way the offense was moving. That wasn't the problem. It was missed shots, and not even missed shots, missed layups and missed dunks, and you just don't see that at the collegiate level. Like you said, probably double digit. Uh, layups and dunks missed in a game is uh, absurd at the collegiate level you don't see that happening so I think Penny said in the press conference on Tuesday that it's a lack of focus and it has to be you don't miss those shots as collegiate players unless there's a lack of focus and that there's something going on so it is concerning it is confusing and I guess we'll have to see through the stretch of conference play over the next couple weeks what they commit to what they think their identity is and hopefully they can get some continuity one thing that um was super frustrating for me and Penny kind of hit on this he he said that in practice we're together we're playing as a unit we're we're together as a team we're we're clicking on all cylinders and then um the game comes along and and we're doing fine and at some point we just it's like we we lose our focus we start playing for ourselves instead of as a team and man I tell you what I it was so frustrating knowing Boogie Ellis's potential, how how good he can be, and then seeing seeing him become an offensive stopper, like he stopped the offense. He played selfish so many times in the second half against Auburn. Uh, I don't know, Kenny, if you saw that, but man, it was so frustrating to watch that, and it just killed Memphis's offensive momentum. It, it there were so many times where he just over dribbled, made selfish play after selfish play, you know. ISO'd, uh, never really began the progressions and reads within Memphis's offense and just killed what they were doing. Yeah, I mean, there was one part, there was one play in the game when Musa um, had his guy literally on his back, sealed off, demanding the ball, which is what you want from your big guy, right? Like you want your big guy to um, to do 95% of the work on the offensive side of the floor before the ball gets in his hands because – once he's able to get the ball and he's got the guy on his hip or got the guy on his back, he can take it straight to the basket. And he had done that, um, which is something that Musa has struggled with. He's not a great post-up player um, in terms of like before the ball gets to him, sealing off and things like that just yet. But he did it in this play, and Boogie looked him off the entire time. Musa ended up scoring, but was off a rebound and a putback. And so... Um, and you saw Moose's face when he got, I think it was a foul too, and he scores the ball, looks around, finds finds Boogie on the floor and screams at him, give me the ball. So, yeah, there was a few times where that happened. And um, it definitely, that is a, uh, especially in, um, especially in a, in a read and react kind of defense, uh, kind of offense, excuse me, um, you want the ball to move. And the worst thing you can be on the floor is a ball stopper. That happens. That that happened way too many times in this game. 
Yeah. So moving forward, like what do we, what do we what do you look for? Like when we're talking about like seven games in the season, conference play starting, you got Tulane on Wednesday night. Like, you know, Penny's sitting there saying, "I, I want to become more involved in the office. I want to take control back of this thing and do more of what I, I, you know, I'm comfortable with." What does that even mean? How do we how do we move forward? I feel like I'm I feel like I'm being a little negative, and I'm not intending to be, but I'm I'm just trying to figure out like. Where's this thing headed? Well, I'm going to go back to the negativity for a minute, and I'll let Kenny (laughs) answer that question, because I I do have two points that I want to hit on that are, to me, very concerning, and they're not really one and the same. They're kind of unrelated, but they they do bring up concerns about this team. The first thing is that Penny is putting so much stock into DeAndre Williams that it, it does scare me a little bit, because this team shouldn't be four and three, regardless of DeAndre Williams is on the floor or not. And every press conference over the past two or three weeks, Penny's talking about how DeAndre is our best player and how we're a completely different team with him in the rotation. And I agree. I think they will be a completely different team. I think he helps out Musa Cisse a lot. I think he brings along Musa Cisse. But you can't pin it all on that. And what kind of message does that send to your other players? It, it, it kind of tells them that you guys can't do it, so we need this other guy who's coming from a different school to be our savior this year. And I I don't know what kind of message that sends. I mean, I've never been in a locker room situation like that, so I can't really tell you. Um, But to me, it sounds concerning because you've got guys like Landers Nolly and DJ Jeffries that have NBA aspirations and that have played well this year. And you're saying they basically, he's not coming out and saying it, but basically saying they can't do it on their own. They need DeAndre Williams to win games. So number one, that's concerning to me. Number two, something we've talked about a lot this year is the development of Jaden Hardaway. In a game that you just lost by three points, he's been your best ball handler this year as far as facilitating. He played eight minutes in that game. He played 56 minutes over the three previous games against Arkansas State, Central Arkansas, Mississippi Valley, and he plays eight minutes in the biggest game of the year in a game where you lost by three points and Alex Lomax looked completely out of control again. I do not understand that. Alex Lomax does not need 20-plus minutes a game right now. He is hurting this team more than helping them. I would rather see Damian Ball on the floor than Alex Lomax right now. And Damian wasn't on the floor the last seven, eight minutes of that game. It was all Alex. And granted, he scored 11 points. He had his uh, season high this year. That's not what he's there for. He's not there to force shots and to drive down low and uh, and try to force up shots and double coverage. So I do not understand why Jaden only got eight minutes in that game. Uh, I, I know it's still early in the season and figuring out the rotation, especially when new guys in the fold can be tricky, but that's a guy that should be playing a lot more than eight minutes a game, and I think we all agree on that. Yeah, I mean, I think I texted both of you guys th- during the game that Landers Nolly needs to be on the floor 45 minutes out of the 40 minutes during the game. Um, I and he ended up getting the most amount of minutes in this in the Auburn game. He had 35 minutes, but um, you know one of the thing the thing about college basketball is if you have one or two guys that are offensively more capable than anybody else out there on the floor, they need to get the majority of the shots. the 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 read and react offense, um is is great if the entirety of the team is is focused on getting the guys who can put the ball in the basket the ball where they can put it in the basket 
that's kind of a tongue twister, but I think you know what I'm saying. You look at you look at Landers in this game. He shot the ball nine times. Um, eight of them were three pointers. He made three of them. Not a great percentage, but I would also say, um, got to get the ball to Landers in a place where he can score, where he can be effective. Um, you look at DJ. DJ played a great game. 34 minutes, 14 shots, made 50% of them, uh, two or three from the three-point line. Um, obviously had a terrible game at the free throw line, zero for four. That's inc- I don't know how you miss four straight free throws in a game. And he also had um, eight of those 14 points in the first minute and a half, two minutes of the game. It's a very good point. Yeah. So though it's it's one of those things where – you know, I'm a I'm a big believer in 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 giving the ball and, and spreading the ball around, but I'm also a big believer in you get the ball to the people that can actually score. And you you look at the number of shots that you know. Let's you know not to continuously bang on on Lester, but Lester's Lester right now is doing a great job of distributing and facilitating. He's very good at that. He's very and good rebounding. at rebounding and rebounding. He had eight rebounds in this game, three offensive rebounds, five defensive rebounds, but he shot one for seven from the floor, zero for three from the three point line like that. That is at this point there needs, uh, you know, not to be, not to be completely negative about the situation, but it's like there needs to be a way of saying, listen, until you can start hitting shots, you need to stop taking shots, you know, and do what you're doing well. Let's get the ball to Landers. Let's get the ball to DJ. Um, it just is – it's a, it's frustrating. It's frustrating to to watch because the talent is there. The t- You know, the talent is there. I believe the offense is there. I believe the offensive schemes are there. It's getting the ball to the people that can score in the positions that they can score. And and not being, you know, selfish with it, not thinking I have to jack shots, I have to do this. It's, it's figure out a way to make this work. And it's just we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, right? Like what can we expect? And I think that this is what we're going to have to expect this year is that ebb and flow of Man, some really good games and some really bad games. And, you know, even within the games, man, I feel like, you know, we're going to witness some really good moments where, like, you know, DJ Jeffries' first 90 seconds of the Auburn game, he looked unreal. I mean, he looked confident. His jumper looked smooth. He looked like he was, you know, in the flow of the offense. He looked like he was ready to come out and murder somebody on the court. And then he just kind of disappeared for the rest of the game. Um, you know, and then you miss four free throws. You just can't do that. You just can't. Three out of his seven field goals were within the first 90 seconds. Um, you, you got to have consistent play across the board all 40 minutes. And that's what this it's It's about the team learning that 40 minutes, 40 minutes, 40 minutes from start to finish. Start strong, finish strong. And right now they're not doing that. And I think, you know, looking forward, conference play, it's now now or never. Like they've got to play well in conference play. They essentially have to win the AAC uh, to, to go to the tournament, my opinion. Um, I'm going to go ahead and call it. So, you know, DeAndre is a big big piece to that puzzle. They need more offensive firepower. They need, 
And and here's what I'll say. They need accountability more than anything. Penny kind of hit on that um, in his press conference today. But, you know, by the time you're listening to this podcast, it's possible that DeAndre Williams will be eligible because of the NCAA vote that ex- is expected to come down on Wednesday. If he is, from all accounts that I've heard, DeAndre is extremely, one, vocal. Two, I've heard that he's a dog, like has kind of that, you know, I'm not taking shit from anybody and I will get in your face and tell you like it is kind of, kind of player. Um, and three, uh, I do think that he's a leader. He's, he's older. He's more mature. He knows what's on the line for him. You know, he, he wants to get to the league. He needs to play well. He wants to win. Um, so I think you need a dude like that when you're in the middle of a dogfight where you're you know, up by one with seven minutes left and you're kind of floundering. You need a guy like DeAndre Williams in your huddle that's on the floor saying, look, get your shit together, stop being selfish, run the offense, take good shots, pass the ball, let's go win this game. And, and I do think that DeAndre Williams offers some of that leadership for what Penny Hardaway needs on the floor right now, but it's got to be more than him, you know, Christian. It's got to be Christian. How do you see if DeAndre is eligible tomorrow night and he plays against Tulane? Which Penny said, if he's vo- if if the vote comes down and there he's deemed eligible, he will play tomorrow night. How do you see the rotation shifting? I mean, uh, I I don't know how you wouldn't start DeAndre Williams. You've gotten basically nothing at the four this year for the most part, unless you're in a small ball lineup where DJ is in the lineup at the four, but from Malcolm and Lance and guys like that, you've basically gotten nothing. Uh, Malcolm looked good at times, but he's missed an insane amount of open layups. and dunks. I don't think I've ever seen a player in seven games miss that many layups and dunks. He just doesn't look like he's all the way there focus-wise, mentally. Um, so I think DeAndre has to jump in as a starter, and I think your front court becomes dominant at that point. Uh, like I said, I think he brings Musa Cisse along because like Brooks was just talking about, he's a leader, he's a veteran, he's he's been around. So a guy like Musa who is young and has been playing with with uh with other young guys, for him to have someone out there who will who will be more of a leader towards him and be able to help him a little more, I think that only brings him along more quickly because we've already seen an insane amount of growth from him over seven games. If you look at him from game one to game seven against Auburn, completely different ball player, confident, doesn't mind going down low and banging now, doesn't look scared of the game anymore, looks like he's catching up speed-wise. So he's already getting there. You throw DeAndre Williams next to him, I think that that front court is extremely dominant, probably the best, you know, one of the best, if not the best in the conference in the front court at that point. Uh, so I don't think there's any way you could sit him. It's not like he's not ready. He's been practicing the entire time. He'll be in shape. I know there's a difference between game shape and, and practice shape. Not as much so in basketball as other sports. Um, but still, you know, take, getting in game shape may take him a second. It may take him a couple of games. But I think you throw him into the starting lineup and let him roll. And I think him and Musa uh, will look very good together. I think those two complement each other very well in the game that they play. I think you'll see a lot of block shots and rebounds down low with those two together. I think, obviously, offensively, Brooks talked about it, the firepower that DeAndre brings with his mid-range scoring, with being able to get to the basket, and he can even step out and shoot. But when you think about defensively, when you have a guy like Musa Cisse, 
next to uh next to DeAndre Williams, the things that they can do defensively together in the front court could be could be very interesting to watch this year. Well, how do you see those two guys playing off each other? You know, because I've seen you're right. Like at the beginning of the year, um, Musa very rarely put his back to the basket and posted up, but he's doing that more now, which is a welcome sight because even if he's not making the initial shot, Musa's has enough bounce and quick, quick twitch to get off the floor and get the rebound again. You saw that, I think, maybe twice or three times against Auburn. Um, how does DeAndre fit into that that uh, that offensive scheme? Like, how do they work well together? Brooks, I'll let you I'll let you go with that one. Well, I mean, I think they're completely different players. So it gives you the opportunity to be more versatile in the post. You know, DeAndre can post. He he is a back to the basket guy, but that can step out and make plays off the dribble. He can step out and make threes. He's versatile, so it gives you the opportunity to stretch the floor more, so that your you know more traditional post guy in Musa can actually have a little bit of room to do some work. And here's an interesting part of this: not only does DeAndre bring accountability with players just from his attitude and his leadership, he brings accountability because he's another dude taking minutes. And here's the thing: like people want to talk about, oh, well, this offense. You know, what are they doing? You know, like they they want to blame the coaches for missed free throws and missed layups. Like they didn't they didn't miss that layup. Penny didn't miss that layup. You know, JJ did not miss that layup. Tony did not miss that layup. Cody Topper did not miss that layup. The players did. At some point, at some point, and this is not me throwing the players under the bus, Penny took full accountability for that loss, like he should. But at some point as a player, you know the personal responsibility comes down to you. you got to hit the shots. And if you're not going to, it's got to be next man up. And DeAndre Williams, when he gets eligible, he is that man. You better start hitting your shots or that dude's coming for your minutes. I'm just telling you, like you could totally see a lineup where you've got Damian Ball, DJ Jeffries, uh, you know, who else? Uh, Landers, Landers. Nolly. DeAndre Williams and Musa Cisse. I think that's a powerful lineup. And Lester, man, I'm sorry. You want to be a sharpshooter. You want to talk about being the best shooter on the team. Winning Memphis Madness, virtual Memphis Madness three-point shooting contest does absolutely nothing for your NBA draft stock. Going 0 for 4 in a game where it really matters, that matters. That matters to your NBA draft stock. And if you can't hit game threes, none of that other stuff, none of that other talk – None of your IG posts, none of your, you know, Memphis Madness three-point shooting contest victories, none of that matters. Like, that's all fluff. Hit some shots. That's what I'd say. So, uh, before I get on a tangent and I kind of lose it, let's go to break. Let's y'all, y'all stick around for some ads. We'll pick it back up on the other side with some football talk. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. 
You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. On May 23rd. I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? <laughs> Okie dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount+. Plus. All right, welcome back, everybody. Before we move on to football, I do want to read a quote. So um, a D1 coach that I know sent this to me, and I, I, I think it's very applicable in this situation. So this is a quote from Pete Carroll in his New York Times bestseller, Win Forever. Uh, Pete Carroll, obviously a football coach, uh, head coach <laughs> Brooks, of the Brooks Seattle Seahawks. A, yeah, Brooks is showing his knowledge over there, D1 just, head hey, coach. <laughs> just got to flex a little bit on him. My football knowledge has really come come along. Uh, but so he sent me this quote. Uh, this is not from Pete Carroll, by the way. This is from a different coach. Uh, Pete Carroll texted you? Shut Y'all shut up. Leave me alone. <laughs> so Pete Carroll in his book said, I had been operating with a multitude of ideas without a comprehensive philosophy to bring them all together. It would still be a long time before that afternoon at home when I finally pulled out a pen and paper and started writing. The realization that I would need to have a philosophy in order to really maximize my potential was one of the breakthrough moments in my personal education and professional career. And I say that to say that I think I hit on this earlier. I feel like we're at a crossroads where we're going to see either Penny Hardaway embrace a personal philosophy that applies to all of these ideas that he has, all of these tenants that he wants to see in his system, um, or we're not. You know, at some point you reach a crossroads where, um, you know, it's almost like a breaking point. And I feel like Penny's saying that he's going to take back hold of the offense. Now we're going to see, does he pull it all together with a comprehensive philosophy, a system? Um, so anyway, that's that's what I'm looking for moving forward with basketball the rest of the season. How does this thing come together? Let's put a big ribbon on it and uh, and wrap it up. You like that Christmas pun? Uh, so, football. Uh, the Tigers defeated Houston by the chin, the hair on the chinny chin chin uh, on Saturday. Uh, I, actually, it was a great game. I really enjoyed watching that game. It was pretty entertaining. So, Christian, what are your initial takeaways from that contest? So, I know fans wish it wasn't as close. Uh, going into the fourth quarter with a, what, 21-point lead, 27-6. to six and kind of blow it uh so i know fr- fans were freaking out i was watching so i'm uh i had both games on but i had started paying more attention to the basketball game because i was like okay this is over i'm listening i'm listening to it i had it pulled up on espn plus so i can hear it but i'm mainly paying attention to the basketball game 
and I hear like one Houston touchdown, and I'm like, okay, that's you know whatever, that's not a big deal. And then I hear Adam Williams punt, and I was like, all right, it's getting a little more sketchy. And then Houston scores again, and I'm like, okay, I gotta, I gotta start really paying attention to both now. So it was a, uh, it was a little bit closer than it should have been, but I think it was fitting, man. Like I really do think it was fitting for this to be Brady White's last game in. Uh, the Liberty Bowl and Riley Patterson. Like I didn't even know this until the post game press conference. That was Riley's first ever game winner in the four years that he's been at Memphis and the crazy amount of kicks that he's kicked and made. That was his first game winner. So you really couldn't write the story any better for for two two of those guys, Brady and and Riley, to go off like that. Uh, for Brady to have that last second drive, twenty eight seconds, and I thought this was insane. But the the announcers like, I think you just take the knee here and go to overtime. And I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? You got twenty eight seconds and two timeouts in a college football game when the clock stops when you get a first down. Why would you take it to overtime here? So I didn't think that that was even a possibility. I didn't think Ryan Silverfield was going to do that. So I'm glad he didn't. Uh, Calvin Austin made some really great catches on that drive. Brady made some good throws, and then Riley hit the field goal to uh to end the game. So fitting fitting way to end the careers for those guys. I thought it was a it, like you said Brooks an awesome game, an entertaining game. And uh 19 and 1 at home for Brady White's pretty insane. Uh, I like, same thing. I didn't really realize it. I knew they had won a lot at home. I knew they were on a long winning streak, but to only uh to only lose one game at home over 3 years is pretty absurd. Well, and the one loss was a win. It was a catch. No, no, no. That was that was, uh, at, that Temple. was at Temple. Oh, that was at Temple. So yeah. wait, the one loss, who was it to? It was UCF twenty eighteen, Brady's first year when they were up, I believe either thirty five to fourteen or twenty eight oh, to penalty. fourteen That's at halftime. Yeah, the, on Tony Pollard, they missed a pass yep. interference that would have given yep. Riley a chance to kick a field goal. Yep, that was that That's game. That's what I was thinking of. That's what I was thinking of. So I still a Y'all win. have some incredible memories, man. That's incredible to remember that. I'm gonna give Tony Pollard that catch. Uh, that pass interference call. I'm gonna give Riley the that's that would have been his game winner. His yeah, first. two two years prior he could have had a game winner. Yeah, there. See, it, it's the signs that that are in the tea leaves. If you read the tea leaves, that game should have been a win. So technically, I'm gonna give Brady White undefeated uh, home career for the University of Memphis. So is Brady I mean, White the best quarterback at the University of Memphis ever? Yeah, I mean. I think that's yes. pretty – he broke all the records that he's led them to the best season in school history. He, he may not be the, the most – Took them to the Cotton Bowl. Took them to the Cotton Bowl. He may not be the most talented. I think, obviously, Paxton Lynch is the most talented, but best college quarterback, best in school history, yeah, I think very easily it's Brady White. Broken all the records, best season in history, first conference. I mean, his, his a list of accolades in three years is absurd. I think the thing that impresses me the most about Brady is um, – his leadership, right? Like he is the consummate leader. And, you know, one of the things that I appreciate about, you know, we obviously we get to cover the team and we get to see, you know, behind the scenes of what's going on. Um, Brady, I think every time there's a media availability, he's a player representative. That's a part of it. That's speaking to the media. And I love that about him. And I think that that is almost. I think that that's intentional on his part. That I'm going to be the the face. I'm going to speak for the team, and and there is a level of calm that he brings to the situation. That in the midst of an unbelievably crazy year where we didn't even know if we were going to have college football, 
you've got a guy who is just a winner and a, the leader of the team. And I was so happy to see him. Like it would have broken my heart for Brady if he had left, if he had had to leave Memphis on a loss, right? Like if his last game in Memphis was a loss, that would have been devastating. And I think that it's awesome that he led the team on a final drive to score and they won that game. It was incredible. Yeah, really a storybook ending. And I mean, there's two things about Brady that, that you have to love as far as off the field. I guess one of them is more of on the field, but first off, he's unflappable. Like, you can't shake the dude. I mean, I've watched every game that he's played in the last three years, never seen him lose his cool, never seen him lose his confidence. So that's a very commendable trait. And then he's just real. Like, I mean, countless and countless media interviews. I can't imagine that that's fun, but he's always been real. Uh, there's been coach speak along the way, but that's any any player is going to give you basic answers. But if you catch him after a win or after he's fired up, he's a hell of a player to talk to. Uh, you think about this past week after the win, he said, I've, I've won more than any damn guy here. You don't hear many college college guys really let it go like that. And I think it was after the Houston game two years ago. He was like, did they win the game? Hell no. Like Brady's Brady's left us with some really good sound bites over the past couple of years. So, uh, yeah, it's been fun covering him. And, and fortunately, we should get one more game with him. Yeah, so that one more game uh, came out on Sunday. Tigers are lined up to head to Montgomery to face off against FAU. Uh, so Montgomery, f- California, right? Right on the beach? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so for those out there that hate the Birmingham Bowl, you're going to love the Montgomery Bowl. You're just going <laughs> to love it. It's, uh, you know... You know, if if we're rating cities in in Alabama, Montgomery is definitely heads and shoulders above Birmingham. Top uh, tier, top tier. Yeah, it's top tier. I mean, it's like, I mean, you might as well be going to Napa, California. How many James uh, Beard restaurants do they have in Montgomery, Alabama, compared well, to I Birmingham? Know that they don't have. I know that they don't have as many as here. They do have a, a good little coffee shop that is uh, pretty solid. So if anybody needs a coffee shop recommendation in Montgomery, when you go down, if you're one of the uh, seven fans that's allowed to attend the bowl game, uh, hit me up. I'll give you a, co- a coffee shop recommendation. But uh, yeah, Christian, what, what is, what is that game going to look like? Mm, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't like it. I don't think fans like it. I can't imagine that the players and coaches are super fired up and it's a bowl game. You're making a bowl game. That's cool. But FAU, I think they finished five and five. They haven't played a power five team, so you're not going against a very good competition. You're in Montgomery, Alabama, two days before Christmas, so I'm sure all the players are just thinking about getting home, especially guys like Brady White who live on the West Coast that are like, all right, I'm ready to go back and chill with my family. So I can't imagine they're too fired up about it, but I mean, same thing. I said this last week on the podcast. It says a lot about this program that we say that bowl games like this really don't even matter anymore because six years ago fans would have been freaking out that they made a bowl game period um so it does say a lot about the program i know it's not really anything to get super excited about but seven straight bowl appearances is uh is unprecedented for this school and for this university so it it shows where we've come and ron silverfield should be able to get uh, a bowl win pretty easily so if that happens if they do beat fau which like i said they should uh, Ryan Silverfield, the coach that everybody's been on for his first year, will finish his first season seven and three, 
and do three things that Mike Norvell never did, beat UCF, win at Navy, and win a bowl game all in one year where he had no spring practice, had to deal with COVID and his best two players on offense opting out. So, Okay, so Christian, Christian sound sounds fired up. <laughs> so, Christian, let's dive into that a little bit deeper. It is wild to me. We we have discussed this a couple times over the last few weeks that it is wild to me that there are Memphis fans that are out there talking about how Ryan Silverfield should be let go to get a new coach, that this year has been a failure. Break that down. It's called, uh, it's what I like to call spoiled fan base syndrome. Uh, you have a couple of losses and fans are ready and it's not going the, the, the way that they want it to. Everything's not working the way they want it to and they're done. And I, I mean, I like I just said, seven and three is a good, re- it's not great. It's not perfect. Seven and three is a good record. Uh, look before, look before like 2013. How many times did Memphis go seven and three? Probably exactly zero. Um, so for, for him to come in with the, I mean, and I think I, I told you this the other day, Kenny, if they never have the COVID stuff go down, this is eight and two. Like if, if they don't take 28 days off, they beat that SMU team. Absolutely. Like they should have won that game anyway, but 28 days off. And they lose to that team by three points. So to me, and I know it's all happenstance, it's all hypothetical, but to me, if they if they never have COVID, they they finish eight and two. So um, say what you want to say, think what you want to think. It doesn't really matter. Ryan, I don't think Ryan Silverfield's losing sleep over people thinking he should be gone because, like I just said, he's already done two things Norvell couldn't in the years that he was here. Has a very good opportunity to do a third. Uh, I think Norvell finished his first season six and. I mean, there was 12 games, so obviously a little bit different, but I think he was 6-4, and 7-5, and five, something like that. So better than Norvell's first year. Um, and like I said, no DeMonte, no Kenny Gamewell. That's good for at least another game. <laughs> so, I mean, the, it's not excuses. Nobody's trying to make excuses for Ryan Silverfield. But cut the man some slack. He went through the worst year you could possibly go through being a first-year head coach and, and still had his guys ready to play every week. I mean, they they battled all year, and and they 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 had a good season. I mean, it wasn't like I said, it wasn't perfect, but they had a good year. Seven and three is nothing to to be pissed off about or talk about a coach being fired over. We'll do a full bowl preview next week, uh, since it'll be closer to the bowl game. But one thing I do want to say is that, and I'm being for real, like if you are a fan and you choose to go, and I even I hope that the staff and and our players hear this. I hope that if you go to Montgomery, that one thing that you take the time to do while you're there is head over to the Equal Justice Initiatives National Memorial for Peace and Justice. Um, I, I mean, I'll just even just talking about it, going to that was a life changing moment for me. It, I I'm getting choked up just recalling what it was like to walk through that. Um, it's just it it really opens your eyes and it's a really unique experience that um I didn't know what to expect walking into it and uh I I will never be the same again after going. So if there's the bowl game could be horrible, the city could be horrible, you just hate everything about it and you go do that and, and it can change your life. Um yes, yeah, Brian Stevenson is listening to um, this podcast, I apologize for banging on Montgomery, but you're right that that will be, 
I think if if any fans do get a chance to go, they have to go there. Um, it's incredible. Yeah. Um, so, but kind of changing the the you know topic a little bit. All conference honors were announced uh, on Monday this week. No Brady White at all. Um, you know, I've seen some people say, well, I mean, how can that be? Like, how do you not list Brady White? Christian, is that a, is that a snub? Well, let's walk through real quick before Christian goes, let's walk through who on the Tigers made the all conference team. So first team, Calvin Austin and, um, one other, who was it? O'Brien Goodson. Goodson. Second team was Quindell Johnson. Um, uh, honorable mention team was, um, Sean Dykes Dykes and and Morris Joseph. So those are the 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 five players that made all conference teams for the American Conference this year. Um, Brady White obviously is not on that. So Christian, go ahead and and you can answer the snub question. Yeah, I'm actually surprised O'Brien made the first team. Uh, it's hard for an undersized defensive tackle to get any recognition there, but that's the kind of season he had. Uh, I wrote about it a little earlier today. 28 tackles, four sacks, two forced fumbles in eight games. To have four sacks and 28 tackles as a nose tackle in a 3-4 defense is absurd. If you really don't know a ton about the game, just trust me, that's that's crazy for a nose tackle to have those kind of stats. Calvin Austin obviously deserved it. 1,025 yards, 10 touchdowns, uh, five consecutive 100-yard games, six total, 17 yards per catch. An, an insane season for him. Quindell Johnson, uh, I think one of the best defensive backs in the conference. Um, <laughs> shout out to his mom because uh, she does not take <laughs> on her son. I li- I mean, I know it might be a little too far, but oh, I like that went. shit. Like, <laughs> I loved she, it. She was she not was playing. N- she was not having it. Like people were people were talking bad about Quindell during the Navy. Was it the Navy game? No, it was the two lane game. game. She's, I don't a, know. she's a better one defender of those games. Than her son is. yeah they were people talking crap about her son she was not having it then he came back and had interception later in the game so 70 tackles as a safety five passes defensed uh i think two forced fumble fumble recovery and three interceptions and they were in uh back-to-back-to-back games so great season for him sean dykes uh most career receiving yards by tight end in school history I feel like if they would have u- if he would have been used more and utilized more throughout the season, he could have been a first or second teamer. Morris Joseph, I think you could make an argument for him on the second team because he was very, very good this year. I know there's a lot of good defensive linemen in the AAC, and Morris Joseph played. Uh, I mean, I didn't expect it. I did expect him to start because the way he played towards the end of last year, but the way he came out this year was ridiculous. And to get to Brooks's question, Brady White is a snub? No, no, I don't think so. Uh, Shane Bouchelle and Dylan Gabriel are two of the best quarterbacks in the country. Uh, say what you want to say about the American Conference. It may not be the best conference in college football, but there are a lot of good quarterbacks. Uh, Dylan Gabriel's one of the best pure throwers of the football uh, in college football. Uh, I love watching Dylan Gabriel. I think he's a great quarterback. I know Memphis fans aren't aren't uh, fond of UCF, but he's a really good quarterback. Um, and so is Shane Bouchelle. As far as deep ball go, pushing the ball down the field, he's top tier at it so I I can't really argue there but my one snub and I'm going to move this along quickly as possible because we've (laughs) we're going over 40 minutes now um to me Dylan Parham not only is he best one of the best offensive linemen in the uh in the American Conference he is not a tackle he actually came to Memphis I believe as a tight end got moved to defensive end and then they were like we don't know what to do with this guy so Ryan Silverfield took him and said let me see if I can do something with him and makes him an all-conference guard 
I think he was preseason all-conference, and then he moves to tackle. There's not many guys that can play guard and tackle in football, whether it's on the high school level, college level, or professional. That's just not something that happens, so that's, that's insane. You sound, really, you sound really incredulous right now that he was able to do that. Help us football novices understand why that transition is so difficult. Because as a so as a guard, you are looked at as more of a road grader, as a less athletic type player, because you don't have to move as much. You you're bracketed by a center and a tackle, so there's not as much moving in pass pro. Uh, you're basically taking a couple a couple steps back in pass pro, uh, and in run blocking, you're just a road grader. Moving at tackle, you have to be athletic. You have to get out of your stance quick. You have to have a really good kick step, which a kick step is, you know, when you see them come out of their stance, they kick back. In pass pro, they kick back. Um, so you have to have a lot of intangibles to play tackle. It's one of the hard, To me, I think it's one of the hardest positions in football to play tackle. So to for him to move from uh, tight end, defensive end, guard, and now tackle, what what that guy does athletically is insane. Uh, very unheralded player. Doesn't get talked about enough. Definitely should have been an all-conference guy. I think he was last year as a guard and had, to me, just as good of a season because you didn't hear his name very much. And when you don't hear an offensive lineman's name, that's a good thing. That means he's not allowing sacks. So uh, I think that that's your snub, not Brady White. It's Dylan Parham. Well, guys, we, we covered a ton. Uh, like I said before, we've got uh, the bowl game to preview coming up. we got a lot of basketball coming up. So we'll be, we'll be hitting this. Signing day. We've got signing day tomorrow. We've got Tulane tomorrow night. This is all Wednesday. Um, so if you're listening to this on Wednesday, tomorrow is today. Something like that. Uh, <laughs> but What's that Leonardo DiCaprio listen. movie? Um, Inception. 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 Yes. yes. So uh, stay tuned. We're, we're going to be hitting these podcasts hot and heavy, um, bringing you guys reactions to everything going on. Uh, so stay tuned. Guys, you got anything else for today? Me and Jonah are doing a signing day podcast tomorrow night that will release on Thursday morning. So that's that's my only thing. Other than that, I'm good. Hey, listen, if you want to know about the guys that Memphis is signing for the 2021 class that Ryan Silverfield and his staff have recruited, the the only place you need to be locked in is Go Tigers 247. Uh, last year, Christian killed it by himself, and this year we got Jonah back. So we've got Christian and Jonah um, I'm not going to say that I bring any value there. And I definitely am going to say that Kenny does not provide any value. Um, uh, excuse me. <laughs> but I am uh, the brains behind this organization. Stay locked in. Go Tigers247.com. You guys, nothing else? I'm good. We're good. That's a wrap. Thank you for listening to Tigers in 20. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love for you to leave a comment and a rating wherever you download your podcasts. If you are interested in daily content all about the University of Memphis athletic program, please hop over to www.gotigers247.com. Articles are uploaded daily, and you can join the Go Tigers 247 family by signing up for the VIP membership for even more behind-the-scenes information. 